Hello and welcome to the Daily Zen podcast. Uh, my name is Charlie Ambler, the creator of Daily Zen. Daily Zen lives at thedailyzen.org, twitter.com slash dailyzen, medium.com slash at symbol dailyzen. And um, there's now a Daily Zen premium version where I post extra episodes of this podcast and essays at patreon.com slash dailyzen. Uh, I have a new office situation that's very comfortable and uh, have the ability now to record this podcast more often. So whenever I have the opportunity, I'm going to do it. I don't know if it'll be every day, but it'll be more than once a week, uh, hopefully. So um, I didn't ask for any topic suggestions today because I wanted to focus this episode on some discussion around one of my favorite Zen stories. If you're familiar with the canon, so to speak, or any Zen writings or storybooks, it's included in most of them. Um, I think it's technically a Taoist story, but it's been passed down for a long time, and it's um, illuminating of a very... um, It illuminates a variety of the concepts that I try to discuss, and so I'm going to read it and then discuss it. Uh, The story is called Maybe. Uh, It is a Taoist story because this translation says, um, there's a Taoist story of an old farmer who had worked his crops for many years. One day his horse ran away. Upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit. Such bad luck, they said sympathetically. Maybe, the farmer replied. The next morning the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How wonderful, the neighbors exclaimed. Maybe, replied the old man. The following day, the, uh, the man's son tried to ride one of the untamed horses. He was thrown off and broke his leg. The neighbors again came to offer their sympathy on his misfortune. Maybe, answered the farmer. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft young men into the army. Seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by. The neighbors congratulated the farmer on how well things had turned out. Maybe, he said. And that's it. (laughs) Uh, It's very short and very sweet, and I think it solves a a major problem that everyone experiences at some point in their lives, and maybe it's the reason that they turn to spirituality to find some sort of solution, but it also allows us to start to comprehend a different sort of logic about the way we think about the things that happen to us, and also the way we think about the things that we make happen in the world. Um, The traditional, or at least in our culture, the way of thinking about things happening is... um, You know, there's things you can't control and there's things you can control. The things you can't control impact you and you designate them as either good or bad. Um, And you either take advantage of opportunities or you wallow in sorrow when things don't go your way. The things you can control, uh, you work very hard to rig in your favor and you do as much as you can and hold on to as many different of these positive attachments as you can, hoping for the best results. And on the surface, um, when we learn those principles, usually when we're very young, uh, they make perfect sense. They seem to coincide with what would make one happy. But as we wander through life, we start to realize that the the things that we thought would make us happy maybe don't make us as happy as we thought. And the things that cause us a lot of trouble often lead to very important lessons. Um, Sometimes they're not even as bad as we thought they were going to be. And most importantly, we learn that the things that we can control and the things that we can't control are often due to the complex um, chaos of the world and all of the just intersecting influences that make up our lives. 
they're not really discernible from one another. Uh, you might think that you have control over events, but there's such a degree of spontaneity that still exists within everything that happens that relying on this certitude of what's going to happen and what you can make happen and how you're going to respond to what happens and also setting your expectations too high for the future causes more suffering than if we were to just let go and go with the flow of things and um, not detach ourselves from life but participate in the flow of it rather than trying to direct the flow of it. And I think that this story provides a very interesting shift in how we can view those things. And it's not just the, the act of saying maybe. Uh, it's not just the sort of skepticism of this is what's happened to me and I can't possibly know the future repercussions of it because everything is so fractalized and complex that I might as well sit back and continue to see what happens and um, you know maybe it'll work out in my favor. Uh, there's a certain irony within the story because the story itself is trying to illuminate this um, sort of indifference that the farmer has, but it stops after the military officials come to the village to draft the son, and he says maybe to that. And so the, the funny paradoxical moral of the story is that the farmer is, is detached from everything until the ultimate good thing happens, which I think is probably a um, fallacious and and misleading end to that too if we really want to follow this Taoist logic of going with the flow of things, believing in this deeper force of nature that's always working and always creating new problems and solutions and that we don't even always have control over what's going on. So I think it would be funny, I mean, if this story was 200 pages of things just continuing to happen, both good and bad, and the farmer continuing to just say maybe you know, until he dies, I think that would be more illuminating as to the logic that we're trying to establish here. Um, but as far as an introduction to this sort of thinking, it's a very appealing um, story, and that's why I shared it. But it begs the question, how do we implement this sort of understanding of events into our lives in a, in a mindful way and in a way that, um, that doesn't keep us too attached to the final result? Because, um, that's sort of this self-containing uh, irony of spirituality is that we're training our minds every day to let go and to relax and to go with the flow of things, but we're still always sort of hanging on to this idea of inner peace, this idea of uncovering the true self, of having gratitude, of being compassionate, of being mindful. And there's nothing wrong with being attached to those things, but it makes it more fun to explore why we're attached to them, to explore even within our attempts to overcome deeming things good or bad or evaluating um, scenarios based on our preferences, to really get past that and say, well, why are we evaluating things in this way? Um, why are we making these judgments? Where does the need to make those judgments come from and how do we think they serve us ultimately in the long term? And just by asking ourselves these questions, I think we find a certain um, solace in the uncertainty. And it's not about finding answers to the questions. It's exploring within yourself what, at this moment, your motivations are, what you are attached to, what you're not attached to, uh, what causes you suffering, what causes you happiness. You know, Investigating these things is interesting, and it's part of this reflective process that we're going through. And um, doing it on a situation-by-situation situation basis in the way of this story is 
sort of illuminating the the task of mindfulness, which is there's always going to be these things that are happening to us, uh, things that might be deemed by most people to be good, things that'll be deemed by most people to be bad, things that'll just be, you know, kind of whatever. And the important thing is to try to retain a somewhat neutral outlook because we are ultimately searching for something still. We're not trying to detach completely from life or ignore the things that happen or pretend that bad things are maybe and good things are maybe. Instead, this is more like getting yourself into this mindset where when things happen, you can understand that the results that you think are going to occur immediately are usually not the results that do occur. And if we take that one sort of statement and expand it to everything we do in our lives, it provides us with a certain equanimity and peace that allows us to deal, I think, more both rationally and spiritually with the things that happen. And so it's not so much about saying maybe in response to everything that happens, so eventually, you know, the, your son doesn't get drafted to the war. It's more, you know, you're saying maybe no matter what happens so that you can have a, a clear head and appreciate the nuance of every situation and really see things um, in an accurate way. And when we explore the various texts of these traditions, we understand that the the function of the text isn't necessarily to tell stories with a moral or to prescribe a certain way of thinking or or prescribe tenets or anything for how to live. It's more so using the text uh the, the author or the person who spoke the text if it's like orally transmitted was originally, oftentimes, especially in Zen, intending to incite in the reader a certain degree of skepticism, of disbelief, of confusion even. Um, and as a result of that, get the reader to jog him, his or herself out of this um, hyper-rational, hyper-judgmental mindset that most people who don't examine themselves have. And so in doing that, and meditation has the same effect, we, you know, when we observe ourselves, we can understand the workings of our mind a little bit better and, and realize that it's more complicated than we realize. And in applying that same um, trick, mental trick sort of, to the things that happen to us, we can start to see them in a little bit more of a complex light and start to experience these fundamental truths that the texts that are produced are intended to help us realize within ourselves. It's sort of an example of the Hollywood motif of show, don't tell, where you're um, you're trying to incite in the in the viewer or the reader a certain degree of um, oh I thought of that myself I realized that myself um, this is only a prompt for me to go through that internal work and figure this out and so that's the the purpose that spiritual texts serve and I think the purpose that this story serves and. I've been reading it over and over, you know, every once in a while for a while now, at least a few years. And um, you see it in a different way each time, precisely because your mind is different every time you read it. And when it incites that sort of, um, when it leads you to the proverbial water and helps you drink a little bit of wisdom, the wisdom is different each time and you understand things in a little bit of a different way each time. And um, I think it's just, it's a... It's a special thing to realize that that's the purpose that these sort of texts can serve because 
if we read them from an educational or a didactic point of view where it's supposed to be, you know, this is what you do, this is what you think, this is how you should, how you should view things, this is how things are, um, that defeats the entire purpose. That doesn't really get us to think deeper about things or ask questions. It makes us, it fools us into thinking that we have the answers. And maybe with something like history or mathematics or philosophy even, um, that, that serves an important purpose in the, in the realm of those disciplines. But for our spiritual lives, um, these texts and these readings and stories and koans and um, quotes that I post constantly on Twitter and all of this stuff, the purpose isn't to provide you with an arsenal of beliefs, but instead to help you cultivate within yourself with each little trick and each little piece of wordplay and each little um, logical paradox that you come into, this deep sense of um, acceptance of uncertainty and a skepticism and a, a curiosity about things that makes things significantly more interesting. Um, I really enjoy the um, composer John Cage, who was a Zen student of uh, D.T. Suzuki, and he has this whole um, thing that he talked about. I'm not going to pull the quote up, but I'll paraphrase where he says, um, you know, any, anything that you look at can be beautiful if you look at it for long enough. You can find something interesting in even the most boring thing if you can just take your attention and redirect it in a way that allows you to appreciate something or experience it for long enough to find something interesting about it. And um, this is sort of the, this is what this story does and it's what this spiritual way of thinking does where um, through experiencing that and, and seeing the, the wonders of it in a, in a controlled way, whether it's in meditation or reading one of these texts or having some sort of spiritual experience in the world, we start to realize that we're on autopilot so often and we've trained ourselves to view things as good or bad or this or that, um, boring or interesting. And that's something that we do. It's not this sort of divine ordained thing that, that everyone has, that this, this innate compass about um, what's, what's good, what's bad, and what's interesting and what's not interesting. And so we, ha we realize when we start to explore this that we have the power to devote our attention to things in a new way. We have um, a lot of attention to give and a lot of time to spend it. And if we direct it towards things that we might not expect to be fulfilling or interesting or um, worthy, we are often surprised by how, um, how many layers and how much intrigue there can be in, in even the simplest tasks. And this is what it means, I think, to cultivate mindfulness is we're our days are full of things that we want to be doing and things we don't want to be doing. And we sort, we sort them so rigidly that we deprive ourselves of a certain degree of playfulness and enjoyment in life um, that we have to compensate for by doing other things, which in turn can make us unhappy even more. And it's a sort of constant cycle, which I think personally, others might disagree, but I think that that cycle is what is represented in the Buddhist the the karmic wheel or the samsaric wheel where um we're you know the, the the notion of reincarnation is just sort of meant to symbolically represent this cycle that we have of craving and finding and craving and finding um and setting preferences and adhering to them and changing them and adhering to those and um when it's too rigid it deprives us of 
meaning in life and intrigue in life. And then we wonder, you know, why life feels meaningless or feels without intrigue. Um, and so anyway, I, I think it's just, these are fun things to think about. And, um, these stories can, can really, um, incite that in you. I think if you focus on them and study them, not just to finish them or to, uh, obtain some sort of moral or, uh, riddle out of them, but to really explore what's going on and how it applies to your own experience. Um, and to, devote more time and more attention to even just a short little passage than you would normally think. Um, the same way that our meditation practice teaches us to pay more attention to the simple pleasures in life and the, the smallest little activities we're doing and to do them um, as methodically as possible. It's sort of like how the in Zen monasteries, the, the monks are responsible for maintaining the entire, it's a self-sufficient environment, so the monks are responsible for maintaining the entire place. And so um, these places are the cleanest places with, you know, um, in some in some lineages, they just eat, you know, rice or something. But a lot of times there's very um, meticulously cooked and beautiful, um, you know, meals and vegetarian meals that don't waste any food and um, the placement of art and relics and the, the architectural design of the buildings, um, the way spaces are set up for sleeping or meditating or walking, um, the way nature is utilized in a harmonious way. All of these tiny little details are all taken care of. They're all covered. There's no stone left unturned. Um, and that's the sort of life that we can cultivate when we uh, not only cultivate this attitude of um, playful indifference to the world um, as a response to the world's sort of playful indifference towards us, but instead to also cultivate this um, this attention to detail that allows us to really appreciate all facets of things and to see that, that even the, the smallest things are a reflection of the whole. And um, if we take care of them, we start to experience a lot more a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in our lives that we might not have expected to exist before. Um, and so, you know, case in point, just from, <laughs> I started with that story and uh, it led to me thinking about all of these things and talking about them. And so I think that um, if you're interested, there's a, there's a great book called Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. It's a collection of stories. Um, and then there's like 101 Zen stories. There's a bunch of, a bunch of these books. Um, and there's also books full of koans and things like that. Um, and even the old spiritual texts that are written in verse, um, you know, the Tao Te Ching or the Bhagavad Gita or the Dhammapada, you can sit in front of one of these texts and, and pick apart one of these verses and kind of interact with it for a long time, more longer than you'd think. And um, that's its own sort of meditative practice where we're exploring more than just the surface. We're exploring all of these different dimensions. And as we interact with the thing and interface with it, we're letting ourselves get to a new place and then explore it again and um, always seeing it with a different set of eyes. And I think that trains us to see the events of our lives constantly anew, constantly fresh and um, without the sort of boredom or uh, indifference that we often have to them. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes open, I think is the ultimate lesson. But uh I hope that that was uh, interesting to you and um, 
feel free to contact me on, on Twitter if you have any suggestions for future topics or texts you would like me to discuss. I would love to, I'm always, always open to suggestions uh, and also always open to criticism. Um, if you like this podcast, I highly suggest that you support what I do and um, also get access to extra weekly content and essays uh, and episodes at um, patreon.com slash dailyzen. Uh, the, the discussions that are happening there are getting longer and more interesting. And I think once there's enough people subscribing who are really engaged in this material, we can have some very fascinating discussions. And I hope to eventually do some, some live stream, uh, session talks and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it's just a more, I think it's a more cultivated atmosphere than, uh, other parts of the internet i found that people are more thoughtful in their responses to the stuff i post there than they are elsewhere so if you are interested in this discussion uh and taking it to another level feel free to uh become a subscriber um and uh i'll be back whenever i have time to do this next thank you <laughs>